This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Hey, take your Bibles this morning with me and turn to the book of Exodus chapter 20. We've just now started a brand new series on the Ten Commandments. I have preached on them, I'm sure, at some point or another uh, individually, but I've never preached on them consecutively. And we're on a brand new series, and I hope that it will be a blessing to your heart. And I know there's probably some that says, well, Pastor, that's in the Old Testament, and you know, I really don't want to get stuck there for 10 weeks. But I will tell you this, you would be surprised and amazed how contemporary these truths are for today. How up-to-date they are and how applicable they are to our life. And that's what I hope that you glean from them today. Not just something that happened way, way long ago, but something that you can look at and pick up maybe where you are in life today and apply some of these marvelous truths. I'd like for you to notice with me now, I'm going to read Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 through 6. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse number 4, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. I'm speaking this morning on the subject God and He alone. When I'm thinking about this passage of Scripture, and the principles and the truths that we find in the Word. The thing that I want you to understand, it's, it's interesting to know how both the first commandment and the second commandment seem to go hand in hand. The first commandment tells us who to worship. And the second commandment tells us how to worship. I want you to think about this because without question, I think that it is the instinct to worship in the heart of every person, every human being. Whether a person is from a civilized world or even into the depths of the jungle, people are engaged in some form of worship wherever they may be. And it's my conviction that God has placed in the heart of every man a desire to worship. And here's the thing. If a person does not worship Jehovah God, if they do not worship the true God, then they will ultimately worship a false God. But everybody, regardless of what belief or faith or practice, Everyone has a desire to worship. 
Somebody might say, well, pastor, what about the atheist? Here's the thing that I want you to understand about the atheist. No one is ever born an atheist. I want you to think about it. A person becomes an atheist when they commit moral suicide. People do that when they, they self-destruct their own inner awareness of God. So listen carefully to this this morning, and I pray that you would get some great spiritual truths from it. The second commandment brings us to light how God strictly forbids making any graven images because graven images totally misrepresents God. Graven images, they are a completely bad picture of God. And I tried to think of a way to illustrate this this morning. Let me ask you now, most ladies, if you'll be honest. How many of you on Christmas morning, when you get out of the bed and you go in there where your family or friends or whatever, and, 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 and you sit down around the Christmas tree and you want your husband to take your picture right away. And you say, what are you doing? I'm taking your picture. Not like this. Look at my hair. Are you crazy? And you have that spin of a conversation. You know why? Because that doesn't represent you correctly. You don't want nobody to say it. But when you think about this just for a moment, graven images do not represent God correctly. And I want you to think about that. In fact, God refuses to be associated or He refuses to be represented with materialistic things. If they can get John 4.24 on the screen, or you may turn your Bibles there quickly. And I've got a lot of scriptures I want to share with you this morning. And some you may be able to get to fast, and some you'll just need to reference to the screen or make a notation in your notebook. But in John 4.24, the Bible says this, that God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And that's the very reason why the prophet Isaiah wrote these words. I'm not going to ask you to turn because we'll be off of it real quickly. But in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25, he said, To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal? Saith the Holy One. God is making it very clear in Scripture. And we'll find out later on in more Scripture. But in the second commandment, he is making it very clear that we are not to make any graven images. We're not to have them. But he also warns about worshiping them. You might find that to be so strange. You might say, well, Pastor, I, I don't spend time worshiping graven images. When people worship them, here's the thing to, to keep in mind. It's degrading God. It's a degrading gesture towards God. 
I believe that graven images can even put you in the shadows of superstition. Now, we're not legalistic here, and I don't want anybody to think that you know we're heading in that direction. We're not. But I want to share something with you, and I'm not trying to expose you to that. But I want to make a statement this morning because some things that we take, I think, in common conversation without giving it a moment's thought, and we associate some of these things to lucky charms, or we associate some of the things we say or do with, with powers that are able to intervene or guard our life or give us courage and things of this nature. I mean, think about it. I know some people, and I don't know of anybody in here this morning, but I know some people that actually still put a and they call it a lucky rabbit's foot on their keychain. And I just saw three people look at their husband. <laughs> Believe me, no one's clued me in. But you would be surprised, on a serious note, you'd be surprised, really and truly, how people gravitate to that kind of thing. There are people in our world today that don't get out of the bed in the morning unless they read their horoscope. And they look at all of this stuff and this space and stars and stuff and they, and they really believe that there's some kind of power guiding them to get up or stay in bed. I wonder how many times we thought about a four-leaf clover. Man, if I could find a four-leaf clover, I'll stick that in my Bible and hey, I'll be good to go. <laughs> or how about this? And I think for the most part, pretty much everybody in here does this from time to time without giving a second thought. But you'd be surprised how ornaments or trinkets can become, if we're not careful, to a place where we worship them or we think more of them. How many times have you had, you've, you've made a statement, you said, that's never happened to me, and you said, knock on wood. You know, I think probably the better thing to say is, thank the Lord. Amen? If we're not careful, things can move us into the shadows of superstition. And I want you to think about this in Romans chapter 1, verse 22. You see, these things that we're talking about, they are not confined and isolated to ancient history. They apply to our life today. In Romans chapter 1, verse 22 through 25, if you can get to it quickly, the Bible says this, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So here's the thing that I want you to understand. Again, the first commandment tells us who to worship. The second one tells us how to worship. God, listen now, not only does graven images, I believe, degrade God, but when a person stoops down to actually worship something like that, they're really worshiping the works of their own hand. 
the works of their own human ingenuities. Now, somebody might say, well, Pastor, you know, you talked about the lucky rabbit's foot and the four-leaf clover and a little piece of wood and this kind of thing. Those kind of things I know are not God, but somehow, preacher, those kind of things help me to keep my mind on God at all times. Or someone may say, well, Pastor, those things that I have and that I have associated myself with in years gone by, they just assist me in worship. They keep me in a worshipful frame of mind. Or these images only represents my sincere love and worship to God. Well, if you, if you stop and think about it, that kind of sounds spiritual. That has a little spiritual tone to its vocabulary. But I will tell you this, God is making it crystal clear in the first commandment and in the second commandment that He has no intentions whatsoever of sharing His glory with anything or any person. Graven images were not only a huge problem in the early days of humanity when these were written on the tablets of stone. But even in the days of the prophet Daniel, graven images were a serious problem. I want you to see this in Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to begin reading. In verse number one, the Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud to you, it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the falsery, the declamer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, shall the same hour be cast in the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And so I want you to understand that Graven images were definitely a serious issue going on in the day of Moses. Graven images was a serious issue going on in the days of the prophet Daniel. But not only that, there is coming a day when graven images and a particular image will be worshipped by all humanity who is not taken up in the rapture. For the people that are left behind when the Lord Jesus returns, Revelation 13, turn quickly with me. I'm giving you these scriptures because I want you to see them and read them. I want you to know where they are in the Bible. In Revelation chapter 13, the last book of the Bible, I want you to look at this with me now. In verse 13, I'm going to read verses 13 through 15. And this is speaking, by the way, of the terror and the reign of the Antichrist. This is in reference to the last three and a half years of the great tribulation that's going to come upon this earth 
As, I, as we have just concluded an entire series on the second coming of Jesus Christ, Bible prophecy, nine messages altogether from January into early March, I will tell you this, that we've studied this very clearly. When the Antichrist comes upon the scene, he is going to come as a political peacemaker. He's going to have the answers for all of the world's economical, political problems. He is going to allow the Jewish people to build a temple erected on the temple mount. He is going to allow them to offer sacrifices in the temple, just like they did in the days of old. But in the middle of the tribulation, after the first three and a half years have ended, the Antichrist will immediately and abruptly stop all of this masquerade that he is some wonderful peacemaker. And he is going to demand that the Jewish people end and cease those sacrifices offered in their temple. That's called the abomination of desolation. Daniel chapter 12 speaks of that. When the Antichrist abruptly forces the Jewish people out of their temple, when he forces them to stop offering the sacrifices that he has now once again reinstituted, he is then going to set an image, a graven image up in that temple and he is going to demand not only that people accept him as the most brilliant human being on the face of the earth, he is going to demand that people now accept him and receive him as God. He sets this image up in the temple and demands that people worship. The Bible says this in the in the uh, line of activities that he does in Revelation 13, verse 13, and he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. I will tell you this, he's not calling fire down from the third heaven where God's throne is. The Bible says that the devil is the prince and the power of the air. So he is masquerading this entire thing, deceiving the entire planet. And verse 14, And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image, a graven image, to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now, I don't know why, but it seems that throughout history, whether it was in the day of Moses, whether it was in the day of Daniel, or whether it's in the times to come, it seems that the hearts of unsaved people, for whatever reason, have always been attracted to images. But please keep this in mind that images only distort the reality of things Presented. God knew that graven images would be rampant on the earth. And he spoke clear warnings about that. He knew that it would, would, it would eventually distort who and what he really was. And so here's the thing that I want to encourage you to focus on just for a few moments. When people make images of God, they are really making a fixture of him. And you say, well, preacher, what's wrong with making a fixture of God? Now, again, I want to reemphasize this this morning because the, I'm not speaking to you today uh, to expose or imp imply legalism to you. I'm not doing that. 
But I think that it's a message this morning where we all need to look around and in our life and make sure that we're not using man-made things to imitate God. God shares His glory with no one and nothing. When you think about this just for a moment, when people make images of God, they're, they're making a fixture of Him. And here's the thing that I want you to understand about a, a fixture. A fixture is limited. But the truth of the matter is God is unlimited. An image is confined. You can put an image in your pocket. You can put an image on your wall. You can put an image in your yard. But you see, God is not fixed or confined to those things. God is universal. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. An image is materialistic, but God is a spirit. Think about it that way. God was declaring that He and He alone is God. Again, listen carefully now. When we think about this, God has made it very clear that He has no intentions of sharing His glory with anything or anyone. In fact, I want you to see an interesting passage of Scripture that perhaps you've even questioned and wondered, how can that be? In Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, we've read it already, but I want to emphasize and highlight a word that we brushed over, but I want to come back to it and make, make a serious issue out of it. In Exodus chapter 20, verse number 5, you see, God doesn't want to share His glory, His being, His power with anything or anyone. And in Exodus chapter 20, verse number 5, look at it very carefully. The Bible says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, look at this very carefully, am a jealous God. You might even want to underline that word jealous. God says, I'm a jealous God. And then he says, we're going to make another point out of this in just a minute, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation to them that hate me. But first, I want you to look at the word jealous. Underline it. And when you read that, you and I'm not going to ask you to turn to Exodus chapter 34 because in verse 14 we find it again. I'll just read it for you. Thou shalt not worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Exodus 34, verse number 14. Now, somebody might be sitting out here this morning and saying, Preacher, it just doesn't sound right for God to admit that He's jealous. Because isn't jealousy a terrible sin? And now we have God in the Word saying, Hey, I'm jealous. I mean, preacher, why is it right for God to be jealous and wrong for us to be jealous? Well, most of the time when jealousy comes into our life, there is a sinful emotion attached to it. But when God uses this word, I am a jealous God, there's no evil or ill motivation attached to it at all. He is describing the exclusive position that he demands upon his creation. And that's what I want you to think about. God's making it very clear that he and he alone is our God and he totally wants every aspect of our life, not portions of it. God is saying that he expects from this declaration the totality of every person. Sometimes we have a subtle way in our lives of dividing things into categories. For example, as Christian people, if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves only giving God Sunday. 
And now the Bible does say that this is the Lord's day. But if we're not careful, even as believers, we can get so preoccupied with every other day of the week and try our best to squeeze God in on Sunday. I want you to think about that just for a minute. On the other hand, you can find yourself so busy in life that the only time you pray is when you get in trouble. You think about it just for a minute. Sometimes when it comes to stewardship, you'll find yourself only tithing or giving when you have a little extra. As Christian people, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying this. If we're not careful, we have a way of dividing, a subtle way of dividing God into all kinds of categories. We're only thinking about church or God on Sunday. We're only praying when we get in trouble and so forth. But God is declaring that he doesn't want just a portion of our life. He doesn't want just a little segment. God wants all of us. Every aspect of our life, that's what he wants all of the time. And when we allow anything to come into our life between our relationship and his, whether we want to admit it or not, we are making or we are inserting an idol of some kind. Now you might say, well, preacher, I've never bowed down and worshipped an idol. But listen, anything that comes between you and God, and you have put that before him, Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, it does become an idol. It does become an image. And I want you to think about it. Let me ask you this question. Are there any images or graven images in your life this morning? Anything that's between you and God? Someone may ask, well, Pastor, I've never really ever given any thought to that. Well, let me ask you this, and perhaps you can... Find the answer a little bit more better. Is there anything in your life that you love more than God? Ask yourself that question. Is there anything at all that you're putting before Him? Let me ask you this. Does God have all of your life or just part of your life? Does He have your Monday through Sundays? Or does He just have your Sunday? Does God have all of you? Now I want you to go back to this Exodus 25 thing. And I want you to see this because not only does it talk about God being jealous, where he wants your totality. Again, that is an emphasis that is unrelated to ill motivations or some type of sinful nature attached to it. God is simply saying, I want all of you, every aspect of you. Now, but there is another element in Exodus 20, verse 5. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I am the Lord thy God and jealous. Visiting, now here's what I want you to see. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Now I realize that somebody in here might be saying right now, Pastor, I just don't feel that God's righteous. I don't feel that God's fair. I don't think it's a good thing for God to punish children and grandchildren for the sins of their parents. This part of the message ought to put everyone up that's a parent today. Because whether it seems right or wrong to you, listen carefully, thousands of children, millions of children are suffering in this world because of the sins of their parents. 
That's what that verse is talking about. For example, I wonder how many children today are in foster homes because their parents are in jail. How many juvenile detention centers this morning are full of children because they were not raised to know the difference between right and wrong? You see, the Bible does still declare that there is a huge importance on training up a child in the way they should go. I believe you're doing your children a huge injustice if you just drop them off on the curb in front of the church. Say, I'll pick you up at 12 o'clock. God help us. I think we need to realize that our children learn by example and by applying spiritual truths in their life. Think how many children this morning are crack babies or have HIV because of the sins of the parents, the sins of the fathers. Think how many children grow up and never darken the doors of a church because their mother and father never did. Think about it this morning. How many will learn to cuss and blaspheme God because they saw their father do it? How many this morning will become alcoholics because their fathers were alcoholics? How many will beat their wives because they saw their daddy beat their wife? Now the Bible, listen carefully. The Bible doesn't say that the children are guilty of the sins, but he said that they would suffer some consequences. But what is God actually saying with that? What is the point of that? He is declaring this, that the worship of images, the worship of idols, when you put anything before him, it will ultimately lead your family to suffer. Now God not only presented a negative aspect to this thing of wrongful worship, but he also interjected a positive aspect of proper worship. Notice with me in verse 6, Exodus 20, and verse number 6. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Here's the thing that I want you to learn today. If you, if you don't learn anything else in this message this morning, I want you to understand this, that the only thing that can stop a continual downward spiral of sin is an upward spiral of His grace and love and mercy and blood and forgiveness. When a person obtains that, listen, you can have a proper perspective on the right ways to worship God. You know the real reason why God made us? The real reason. Somebody say, oh, I know, preacher, why God did that. God made us in order that we might serve Him. But here's the thing that I want you to know. If all God wanted was servants, He could have made billions of more angels. God didn't only make us to serve Him. God made us to worship Him. I want you to think that somebody might say, well, preacher, angels can worship. But let me remind you of this, that there is not one angel in heaven that can worship God like some poor redeemed sinner that's been saved and changed by his amazing grace. I tell you, you talk about rewards when you get to heaven. And the Bible mentions five specific crowns that we can obtain when we get there for our faithfulness. 
I will tell you this, the greatest reward in my perspective of going to heaven and receiving is not some kind of crown or something. Listen, the greatest reward that you can receive in heaven is when you get there and some poor, lost, redeemed sinner is there because you took time to open the Word of God and show them how they could have their sins forgiven and their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's the greatest reward of heaven. I want you to see this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound is a song that the angels cannot sing. Oh, my. Listen very carefully. God desires our worship. He deserves our worship, and he demands our worship. And he shares it with no one or nothing. Our lives belong to him. Let me ask you this question today. When you think about this commandment, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. When you think about the subject, God and he alone, thou shalt not make any graven images. As you read it right here, let me ask you this. Does God have the totality of your life? Or is that, are you trying to box him in? Just trying to put him in some little corner of your life. I sure hope when you leave here today, you don't take your Bible and throw it in the floorboard of your car. Put it somewhere where it collects dust for the next few days until we get together again. Listen, God wants us. He wants our undivided attention. He wants us 24-7. And you might say, well, preacher, i got to go to work. i got to eat. got to mow the yard. i got to do all these things. Listen, you can do those things and have a reverence of God in your heart and mind. He wants all of us. He wants every aspect of it. And let me ask you this. Have you got to the place in your life where you actually opened up your heart? First of all, to him. Do you, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because I can assure you that not everybody sitting on church pews is going to heaven. This is a wonderful thing. We've got a good crowd here this morning. A lot of people not here. When they all are here, we have everywhere people everywhere. But I will tell you this. Not everybody in the church house... Sitting on, pew, sitting on the pew coming in the church house does not make anybody saved. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, my first question is this. Have you opened up your heart's door to him? Jesus said this, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. Have you done that? Have you opened up your heart's door? Let him in? Have you received him as your personal savior? And then let me ask you this, if you have, are you trying to box him in? Trying to represent Christianity, represent your affection and love for God and all of these other kinds of notions? Or is it truly God and God alone? You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.